So many home fragrance scents smell unnatural, super sweet, chemically, or maybe even like a part of the mall you can't wait to escape. And after learning that the candle industry contributes to an insurmountable amount of non-recyclable waste, carbon emissions, and toxicity in our air, I am so happy that Notes Candles exists. Notes Candles is on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up high-quality fragrance that actually seems amazing. I have been loving burning the Santal and Atlas Cedar scent. It's woodsy, calming, and smells so good. I can't get enough. I love it. And they have other amazing one-of-a-kind fragrances like oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, and pistachio and rose water. Every single one of them is exceptional. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high-quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notecandles.com slash bestofyou. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code bestofyou. Just use code bestofyou when placing your order. That's code bestofyou at notescandle.com slash bestofyou. Gut health is so important for your overall well-being. That means keeping a culture of good, healthy bacteria populated in your gut so there's no room for the bad stuff. Your immune system, your digestion, and even your daily mood are directly affected by your gut. I'm a big believer in probiotics. They have been such a help to me as I've healed some persistent gut issues. And Organifi has an organic blend of pre and probiotic capsules that empower your gut, improve digestion, absorb greater nutrition, and promote a strong immune system in just seconds. Organifi Balance Capsules are a dynamic five-strain blend with spore-based probiotics for potency and resiliency in convenient, easy-to-take capsules. This potent combination helps support healthy gut flora, maintain healthy gut balance, reduce bloating, reduce abdominal discomfort, regulate elimination with 20 billion CFU guaranteed and no refrigeration needed. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition and high-quality ingredients. Each product is science-backed to craft the most effective dose with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers. And the best part is that you can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Head over to www.organifi.com slash bestofyou and use code bestofyou for 20% off your entire order. That's www.organifi.com ifi.com slash best of you. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Best of You podcast. I am so glad you're here. We have a brand new series. We are starting today called What Does the Bible Really Say? We're going to hit on just some of those hot topic, hot button issues in this series, especially as it relates to the questions that we have about how we're supposed to live our lives here on earth, right? So psychology focuses so much on the who we are now, becoming a better version of yourself, living life to its fullest, healing painful patterns, presumably so that we can have a better quality life here on earth. So what does the Bible really say about how we are supposed to approach this life we've been given to live. And I'm super excited because guess what? This is the start 
of season two of the Best of You podcast. I cannot believe it, but this podcast launched one year ago. We've put out 53 episodes of the podcast. And so as we start episode 54 and a brand new season, a brand new year of the Best of You podcast, we're going to dive into what does the Bible really say about how we are to live this one wild and precious life that we've been given to live, to quote the wonderful Mary Oliver So today's guest, we're going to hit the ground running with a question I hear all the time because so many of you have been taught this, can I pray my anxiety away? This is a question I get so much, and it really leads to a larger question of these things that are hard, things like anxiety or depression, just things that we struggle with. Are we supposed to be able to pray them away? Is that really what the Bible teaches us about how we're supposed to deal with our challenges, with our anxieties? Everybody experiences anxiety, and is that really the best approach to it, to just pray for God to take it away? Well, to help me answer this question, I've asked Curtis Chang to talk about his experience with anxiety, and I'm really excited to introduce you to Curtis, and I try to only invite guests on this podcast who are people I have some acquaintance with in real life. They're either personal friends of mine, or I know them through friends of friends, or I have a deep you know, acquaintance with their work. I want to talk to these folks. These are folks whose work I've benefited from, who I've learned from, who I've gotten to know in my real life. And so with that being said, let me introduce you to Curtis Chang. So I'm so excited to introduce you guys today to Curtis Chang. Curtis and I have a ton of friends in common. Uh, We just met each other, but when we started to talk, we realized we're part of this very small world. Were you on staff with InterVarsity? I was, yes. I was on on staff in the the late 90s at InterVarsity in Boston. And most of my friends in Boston have at some point either been on staff with InterVarsity or are still on staff with (laughs) InterVarsity at Harvard or went to Harvard or whatever. And so we pretty much know everybody in common, which was really fun as we were, but we'd never met each other. So Curtis Chang is a theologian and consulting faculty member of Duke Divinity School. He's a senior fellow at Fuller Theological Seminary. Curtis has written for the New York Times and Christianity Today. He's appeared on CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, PBS, and NPR. He's pretty much been everywhere. He's the co-host of an amazing podcast I have just come to really value. It's called The Good Faith Podcast. He co-hosts it with his friend from time to time, uh, David French, who's a columnist for the New York Times. And Curtis's ministry, speaking, and writing are fueled by a passion to help Christians recognize the surprising authority and relevance of Jesus for the parts of our life that are often left to the secular world. And Curtis has written a wonderful new book. I've read a lot of books on anxiety, Christian books on anxiety, secular books on anxiety. And I said this to Curtis, I said, this is one of the first books I've read in a really long time that stunned me. Listeners don't see the fact that you've got a bookshelf of a <laughs> stack full of books behind you that uh, yeah. that prove that this is indeed true. So. Yeah, yeah, and there, and it was a you brought in. I won't. I don't want to spoil it because we'll get to it toward the end. But you brought in some, one of my favorite uh, theologians, which is N.T. Wright, and sort of hit. And, but you brought it together with anxiety in a way I'd never thought about it, and I had an immediate epiphany. I was actually on a plane. It was so striking to me. It's a really good book. It's called The Anxiety Opportunity, and I cannot wait 
to have this conversation with you, Curtis. Thank you for being here on the podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on talking with you and uh, talking about really substantive matters in addition to dropping names of people we know. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation as well. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I, I kind of want to dive in to the deep end with you personally, because your experience of anxiety really flows out of your personal life. And you start the book off talking about your experience with anxiety as a young boy. And it was just so compelling. I think any parent reading that, you know, is just, their heart is just being so tugged toward this very vivid description of what anxiety was like for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, and I, th I think it's important to recognize that we've always lived with anxiety. We certainly are living with higher rates of anxiety. I think objectively, all the studies show that anxiety rates have gone up substantially, especially for our teen. So if you're a parent, odds are you have a child, a teen in your family that is suffering from anxiety, and you know many, many other families with kids who are suffering from anxiety slash depression. In my church, I don't know a single family, I think, that hasn't been touched by this. So we are living in a pandemic, a mental health pandemic of anxiety, that's for sure. But it's also important to recognize that part of the rise has been just the rise of recognition of existing anxiety that's always been there. So I think objectively, we are right. It's not, it's not we're just relabeling it. There's objective rise in anxiety. But it's also helpful to recognize, wait, we've we've always lived with that. We just didn't have necessarily the language or the tools to recognize the anxiety that was there. And that was, was certainly true for me growing up. I, an immigrant, part of an immigrant family, I immigrated when I was three. And in the Chinese-American culture, mental health is just not something that we have categories or, or tools to make easy sense of. And so it just wasn't a category to be able to say I was anxious. And the story that I opened the book up was with realizing that I grew up with a pervasive sense of anxiety stemming from the fact that I was a latchkey kid. So starting at age eight, I was walked home from school and came home to an empty house by myself. I was the first kid to get, get, to get home and there was a key under the mat that I would use to let myself in. And now we think about letting an eight-year-old come home to an empty house. We think that's ridiculous. That's bizarre. But that was normal for me growing up. And, and so, but it was actually looking back, I realized how much this was a deeply anxious experience for me. And both coming home to an empty house, thinking that perhaps the creek in the attic was some burglar that had bro broken in. And so, you know, also I'd race outside when I'd hear a, a sound, a creaky sound in the house and try to be outside so I couldn't be in the house alone. And then really afraid of that my parents wouldn't come home and that they wouldn't make it home alive. That was a, a childhood anxiety I had. And so I developed all sorts of coping mechanisms to deal with it, even though I did not was not ever able to name that experience as an anxiety. And certainly, and I tell the story in the book, certainly wasn't able to name it for my parents. To, and I think even if I did, they wouldn't have any way to make sense of it. And so that led to a bittersweet experience of my childhood that I won't share the, the story of it in detail. But I think what it's trying to illustrate is actually, even if you're a parent of an anxious child uh, listening to this right now, one of the steps that I talk about in my book that's helpful to recognize is to recognize your own anxiety, both currently, but also even in your past, as a way of actually making sense of it and establishing some sense of understanding of your anxious children. 
Yeah. It was interesting reading that section, Curtis, we're probably roughly the same age because all the era, you know, things that you point to, I was like, oh, yes, I relate to all of those. Um, <laughs> the latchkey kid was normal. Um, and I, I think about, I talk about trauma. You didn't use this word and I always want to not throw that word around lightly. But even if we think about these small T traumas as unwitnessed pain, right? You were alone in that experience without there being a name to it. And so it lives in your body a little bit. And it, it you know, we develop shame around that, which you get into in the book. That was my experience too. It's like, what, what is wrong with me that I can't literally be in a house by myself after dark when I should be old enough to be in a house after, you know, we start to develop a shame narrative. And you talk about this as this anxiety kind of continues to go unnamed, to maybe even go and witness to yourself, to others, it festers a little bit till you reached a breaking point as a yeah. pastor. And That's tell right. us a little bit about that. Yeah. So one of the reasons I wrote this book was to reframe anxiety for Christians, because they're the dominant narrative for anxiety for Christians is that it is a problem that we are supposed to make go away. And we can make it go away in usually in one of two ways. So in some churches, we're supposed to pray anxiety away. And in other churches, to use a sort of label for it, we're supposed to pill anxiety away. So we either use spiritual means to make anxiety go away, or we we outsource it to secular mental health for either medication or therapy to make go away. Which, by the way, I am a fan of medication and therapy. I think it's a helpful tool. But even in the secular mental health usage of those tools, the dominant narrative and understanding of anxiety is still, it is a problem we make go away, right? Either either through prayer or pills, uh, again, using as a stereotype. And so for me as a pastor, this is after I've, you know, become a young adult and now a growing and maturing adult, and I become a senior pastor of a uh, fairly large church here in California. And I take over the church from the founding pastor, which is, I, I discovered, is a very stressful position to be in. And the church ended up struggling, as many churches do in that transition from the founding pastor to the successor. And suddenly, I'm having to preach regularly for the first time, lead a staff team, deal with the fact that people are now no longer have the person that they've psychically imprinted in with as the founding pastor, the dot-com bust hits. And so people are losing their jobs, our giving goes down, we have to do layoffs. And I start sleeping less and less from seven and a half hours to seven, then six, then five. I'm sleeping less and less. Now, in retrospect, that's a dead giveaway for somebody of my profile that I am experiencing building anxiety, that it manifests itself bodily in sleep. But I did not recognize that. I just said it's because I have more work to do. It's because there's a lot to, that of, of issues I have to handle. And so I'm just sleeping less because I have more work to do. And what I didn't recognize was that I could not, at that point, admit to myself or anybody else that I was suffering from anxiety because of that narrative, that it is a problem that we're supposed to make go away, pray away. And in some churches, it's even a, a sign of lack of faith or even a sin, even you know, many churches will even go so far as oh, it shows you don't really trust God. So they misuse Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything to say that that is, means anxiety is a sin. 
And so I was living with something of that, even in an unconscious way, that narrative that anxiety was a problem, it was a sign of lack of faith. And here I am, the senior pastor, how then am I supposed to admit I'm suffering from increasingly crippling anxiety? So I don't. I just try to ignore it. I narrate it in a way that pushes the problem to external factors, and I don't acknowledge it. And it just, it, not only, it just doesn't fester, it metastasizes. It grows. And so there, I finally hit a period where that sleep went from five hours to four. And then I went through a two-week period where I do not remember consciously falling asleep at all for two weeks straight. I must have had some little micro sleep because your body just can't survive that, but I don't remember consciously falling asleep and waking up for two weeks in a row. And I remember uh, during that second week, I was alone in the house by myself and I scream out loud. I'm shouting at the top of my lungs, God, make it stop. I'll do anything. Just make it stop. And then I had the second moment of realization, which was, oh, so this is how Guantanamo Bay works. Like, I, I realized, oh, this is why sleep deprivation is considered by the Geneva Convention as a form of torture, because it's not just I was tired. I was, my mind was fracturing. It was psychic torture. It's hard to describe to somebody the psychic nature of anxiety-fueled sleep deprivation as of just how painful it is and how you sense you're losing your grip on reality itself. But so that happened to me. And then ultimately that heightened anxiety slipped into depression, which is often what happens when chronic untreated anxiety goes for a long period of time. It can slide into deep depression. I went on disability and I was barely functioning for months. And my wife had to raise my two young daughters by herself. I Getting out of bed was like a major accomplishment during those months for me. I was utterly crippled and disabled uh, as a person. And so all of that at least is somewhat attributable to the fact that I was felt so deeply ashamed about anxiety that I could not actually acknowledge it as a problem when it was still building. And it could have, the worst of the symptoms could have been headed off. So I share all of that to say that this is the danger of treating anxiety solely as a problem to make go away is that we end up not being able to admit it because it's surrounded by so much shame. But more importantly, I share all that to say, like, I know how painful anxiety is. I'm not, when I say the book title of my book is The Anxiety Opportunity, and I'm trying to reframe from anxiety from solely being a problem to actually being a profound opportunity for spiritual growth. So I share all that to say is I know anxiety is painful. I'm not saying it isn't painful or it isn't a problem. I am saying, though, it isn't just a problem, that it also is a profound opportunity for the deepest kind of spiritual growth we need to encounter. And I experienced that. I'm writing the book because I'm, I can say, as somebody who's gone through anxiety, that is precisely that. It is something to go through. It is not something to avoid or make go away. It's something we go through. It's like a doorway that we go through. And on the other side, God has actually our best self for us if we're willing to go through it. Each year, millions of Americans face the reality of living with mental health challenges. 
May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Last year, Christian Appalachian Project, CAP, provided essential mental health services to more than 900 individuals in Eastern Kentucky. Did you know that there is one quarter the number of mental health providers in the region compared to the national average? That presents a challenge to anyone seeking access to mental health professionals. CAP serves families and helps children who are dealing with the impacts of a variety of trauma. Counselors with Christian Appalachian Project often serve individuals with chronic, multi-layered problems. Recently, CAP's Family Life Counseling Services expanded into additional Appalachian counties. These caring counselors are committed to the value of the individual, the importance of families, and the wisdom of spiritual beliefs and principles. This work changes lives, strengthens communities, and creates a ripple effect for generations to come. Would you help us recognize the importance of mental health by donating to CAP today? Please visit christianapp.org slash mental health T-S-F. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A-P-P dot org slash mental health T-S-F. Whether you're someone on the go who needs a quick, healthy snack to grab on the way out or someone who needs a stocked snack drawer at home, Nuts.com has you covered. Nuts.com is your one-stop shop for freshly roasted nuts, dried fruit, sweets, pantry staples like specialty flowers, and more. Their wide selection means there is something for everyone. I love nuts as a healthy snack in the afternoon when I am just dying for something to eat and I need something that tastes good but won't set me off course on my health goals. My family loves the bourbon pecans, the cashews, the pistachios. They are all so good. And there are gluten-free options, organic choices, and other diet-friendly products. Whether you're looking for something sweet, savory, or need to stock up on everyday cooking essentials, you will find something at nuts.com. You can shop a la carte at any time or opt into hassle-free auto delivery so you never run out of your favorite items. Right now, nuts.com is offering new customers a free gift with purchase and free shipping on orders of $29 or more at nuts.com slash best of you. So go check out all the delicious options at nuts.com slash best of you. You'll receive a free gift and free shipping when you spend $29 or more. That's nuts.com slash best of you. The paradox of that door, you know, the metaphor that you're using, and as I'm listening and I was reading, is that we can't get through that door to go through it if we don't name it and call it what it is. And that's what came through so clearly in your story. And it's what as therapists, you know, we, at best, when we're diagnosing, it's not to say this is a problem to make it go away. It's to say we need to name this because once we name it, and you talk about this in the book, we can differentiate from it. We can get it outside of us a little bit. There's a paradox there of the shame wants to keep us from saying, oh, it's, and you talk about this so well in the book, either we minimize it, you know, we spiritually bypass it, as you're saying, or we try to external, oh, if I just wasn't so busy, or if this wasn't the case, or if this wasn't the case, instead of just going, I'm dealing with some anxiety, which makes us feel anxious to name it. And in fact, is part of what opens the key to that door that actually allows it to soften. It's We talk about it in IFS terms as befriending it, which isn't to say that you you know love the experience of it, but the minute you can name it, as Dan Siegel says, you can start to tame it. And you really show us that in the book. It's such a gift that you take us into your journey Curtis, because it was very real for you. you. You know, this was not a minor event. And it wasn't just a one-time event, right? Like I, I, I explained how I grew up with it, although I didn't have the name for it growing up because I had developed 
so many coping mechanisms that made it a highly functional anxiety until I hit that breaking point as a pastor. And I experienced it after my breakdown, and I still experience it today. Anxiety has not gone away from my life, but what it has become is this opportunity for spiritual growth, which is really the core message and what I'm really inviting people to realize is that in anxiety, we are given a insight, given a picture, given understanding of all the most fundamental things in our lives that we fear losing. Because that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is the fear of loss. And so when we're able to actually name and look at our anxiety, we're given a look into, oh, this is the true state of my heart, this true state of my soul. And there's nothing like anxiety to reveal that if we're willing not to externalize it or not to be ashamed about it, but to actually just realize it's an invitation from God. That's the real invitation of the book is for people to follow this, this journey through anxiety to realize that this is actually the key, I believe, for some really profound spiritual growth for all of us. Yeah, that's, it's so beautiful how you, you talk about that. It's an invitation to look at our attachments. And you do such a nuanced job of it because there is one section of the book I, I really appreciated and got a lot from where you, there's a lot of reasons we have anxiety. Sometimes we're anxious because we should be anxious because things are really hard and that and that doesn't mean or we have a predisposition to it or whatever. But, and also two things can be true. Sometimes there is a, you, you talk about idols underneath it. it. It can surely help us uncover and discover what are these things that we are just so afraid of losing Curtis, this takes me to, you talk about in the book that this was the new thing that just was stunning to me, that in order to face the the fear of the loss, the loss that is underneath so much of our anxiety, and this is a piece that I've never been taught before, we have to understand that that loss will be returned to us, and it gets at hope. Tell us a little bit about that. That was so powerful to me. Yes. If there's one theological contribution that I'm trying to make to Christian understanding of anxiety that that doesn't exist right now, it is that the ultimate answer, the ultimate strategy or approach to anxiety from a deeply Christ-centered perspective is the resurrection. Because the resurrection is the answer to anxiety. And it worked, but it's important to understand how this works. Because what anxiety is, it is the fear of loss. Now, what a common mistake Christians make is that God's answer to loss is that we will avoid loss, right? So that somehow God will protect me from this feared loss. So if I am anxious about my finances, I'm anxious about my kids, how they're doing, I'm anxious about the world, the climate change or politics or something like that, that the answer to anxiety is that feared loss will never happen. God will be the grand insurance broker in the sky. Are you saying that's what the church teaches us? Yes, I'm saying that's, that's the common mistake that, that churches can teach, is that if anxiety is lost, then God is going to insure me from any scenario in the future of loss, which is ne- God both never promises that, and anybody who's lived <laughs> for any period of time with any honesty would realize that doesn't happen. Christians go through loss just like everybody else goes through loss. And that the the Christian, the Christ-centered answer to loss is not that God will protect you and and ensure you from facing loss, but actually, if you go through loss with Jesus and in Jesus, then we participate in the resurrection promise. 
And what the resurrection is, is the promise to give back what we have lost, not to avoid loss. In fact, the resurrection is only resurrection if we have died. That's what resurrection means, that it is the restoration of life after death. So death is the loss of all losses. So the resurrection promise, which is the center promise of the gospel, is not you will avoid loss. In fact, it is a promise, essentially, that you will go through loss. You will die. That's what death is. It's the loss of all losses. So we have to actually get over our fear and our impulse to avoid loss and be willing to go through it like we walk through a door. And that's what it means to walk through anxiety, is to walk through loss, to go through it. And then the promise is not we will avoid it, not that there's a way around it or a way away from the loss, but a way through that loss. And that way through is experiencing, enduring it, suffering it, suffering the real pain of the loss, but with the promise that on the other side is resurrection, which resurrection is the return to us. It's the great get back of all that we have lost. And Christians have not quite one, understood that the true nature of that resurrection is the return of all these earthly, bodily, physical, real concrete things that we fear losing. It is not we are zapped away in an immaterial souls to heaven. It is actually a restoration of real losses that we both fear and will inevitably experience. That's only when we can hold on to that promise that that, then we have the true Christ-centered response to anxiety which leads us to our best self, because our best and most glorified self is given to us through death and resurrection. And that's really, I think if I, if there's one thing I want to like have a message out to your peers and your fellow practitioner, Christian therapist, is to actually really integrate the theology of the resurrection into our therapy, because ultimately I think that is the deepest, most robust answer we have to anxiety. I am always looking for ways to save time and money while also maximizing health benefits, and that's why I am thrilled to have discovered Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online and quickly shipped to my doorstep is just unbeatable. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can easily use their on-site filters to get really specific about what matters to me. For example, I can filter out low sugar, non-dairy, gluten-free, any of those very specific dietary needs that anyone in your family might have. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save about 30% each each time. And best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give a membership away. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash best of you. The various things like, you know, mindful breathing and presence and naming, those are all good. Those are all helpful. Buddhists do that. Secular therapists do that. That's, that's you know, that's that's cognitive behavioral therapy. That's all, you know, what, what Christians bring uniquely to people suffering from anxiety, if they're willing to entertain it anyways, is the promise of true restoration that only comes from resurrection. 
and you talk about all of those methods in the book too, which are also yeah. very helpful. That's what I appreciate about the book. Yeah. There's a practicality to the different strategies that are sometimes just really practical, really concrete, mm-hmm. really in the moment. The best of what psychology has taught us is important. And that piece where you brought it back, there's an exercise in the book. I'm not going to give it away, but I did the exercise thinking about how we think about heaven. And it was revelatory to me. And you take us through a corrective about what it really means to find our lives again on the other side of death. And it's not what so many of us have been taught. And then you sort of reverse engineer the fear. So it's like this thing, I'm so anxious about my health. You know, I'm losing, you know, aspects of my health that have meant so much to me. And we're afraid to face that because then we got to grieve it. And then that's just so sad. But what this exercise does is it makes you go, oh my gosh, I'm, God wants to give that back to me. And and it's not a spiritually bypassing thing. It's not just like, oh, it'll be fine in heaven. That's not what you are saying. You are saying it's hard. There is some real loss. And I think anybody who struggles with anxiety understands that. You can't dupe yourself, gaslight yourself, right? To be like, it's really fine. Nothing bad. No, no. You know, people who struggle with anxiety are sometimes finely tuned to the fact that sometimes really hard things happen. And so what I love about what you're doing is there's a way of saying, yeah, it doesn't mean everything bad that you worry about is going to happen. But at the end of the day, what if, you know, if it does, you have a God that goes in it with you and is actually going to restore that for you at some point. And there's a hope that allows you to walk through the anxiety. Honestly, it's really nuanced. It's really beautiful piece of work, Curtis. Yeah. And you not only get the ultimate restoration, but you actually will experience less anxiety. Not zero anxiety, but less anxiety. Because when anxiety, which is a natural human emotion we experience in the presence of potential future loss, it is normal, it is natural, it is not a sin. And I explain that in my book, including the claim that you'll have to read the book to to see how it's all laid out, that Jesus experienced anxiety. The Gospels are universally clear Jesus experienced anxiety. So it's not a sin. It's a it's a natural human emotion and experience in the face of loss, such that when Jesus, the ultimate true human, faced his impending loss in, through, in his death, he experienced all the symptoms, or not all, but many of the symptoms, classic symptoms of anxiety, and the scriptures are, are clear about that. But there's a difference between anxiety and anxiety disorder, right? So anxiety disorder is when we are actually responding to anxiety in an unhelpful, dysfunctional way. And one of the most pervasive common thread that you run through anxiety disorders, and studies have shown this, is this avoidance, is that we're actually trying to avoid anxiety. We're afraid of feeling anxious, but we can't actually avoid it because it's a natural human emotion in the face of inevitable loss. And so what happens is we get on this hamster wheel where we are trying desperately to not feel anxious, to do things to, to actually avoid feeling anxious, rather than just suffer it and go through it. And that actually is what creates anxiety disorders. That's what actually multiplies the level of anxiety in our life is when we feel like it's something that we must make go away. 
Yeah. One of the things I want to bring this around a little bit to where you started, which is because so many of my listeners I know are probably thinking about themselves, but also about their kids. One of the things we do in my family to try to not do the anxiety avoidance is we try to categorize it. And so we would say things to our kids. So for example, is it big, medium, or small? So the point is, of course, there's anxiety and they could do, oh, Small. Okay, great. So if it's small, we just got to live with, you know, we got to go to the thing. We got to do the thing. We're going to have to, if it's big and it's starting to veer toward, then we'll take a different approach. But just that it's the naming and it's the, the taming a little bit, you know, it's categorizing. And that's kind of what you're getting at when we avoid it or pretend. And as parents, and you talk about this in the book as a dad, and I want you to talk about it. It was so great. If we're afraid to honor the reality that, of course, our kids are anxious, which means we have to do our own work with our own anxiety, we're going to make it worse for them. So tell us a little bit about that as a dad. Oh, well, this is something that I really spent a lot of time thinking and writing about this in the book because I just recognize that we are living in a mental health pandemic where the latest CDC report shows one in three of teenage girls felt deeply anxious and depressed enough to at least contemplate suicide. I mean, that's a, that's a remarkable statistic. And so anxiety is everywhere among teens. And so how do we then equip parents to actually be parents in that moment. And I think what I'm trying to call attention to is if your kids are feeling anxious, that's going to trigger, of course, anxiety in you. It's, and it's going to be a complex triggering because one, you're just going to be anxious for them. Of course, naturally, as parents, my kids are suffering, you're going to be anxious. That's one level. And then there's a, even a deeper, more subtle layer, which is it's quite likely their anxiety is going to also trigger your own childhood experience of anxiety. That that's the script. That's the emotional script that's deeply embedded in you. And so if you grew up for me, like me, like denying it, minimizing it, not wanting to confront it, there's a good chance that me as a parent now are going to fall back on that same script. Because I'm sure you talk about this in your therapy, right? As parents, we're reliving kind of our our, this, our childhood scripts. We're healing those parts of us as of our course. kids are bringing and, them to the surface. Totally. Exactly, right? And so being a parent of an anxious child is actually an opportunity for you to actually do some healing of your own anxiety that's deep within you from your own perhaps childhood experiences. So for me, again, because I grew up as an immigrant in that my culture and, and both secular as well as Christian and as an Asian American of this sort of minimizing it. And the way that that gets transmuted to me now is I, along with being a theologian, I'm also a consultant. I, I consult organizations on strategy and leadership and so forth. And so what I end up doing, my temptation as a parent is I slip into consult, what I call consultant dad. And consultant dad is really trying to solve their problems. And, and I, what has been the hardest thing for me to recognize is recognizing how much, so much of my motivation when I'm being consultant dad and trying to solve their problems right away is I'm actually trying to minimize their problem. I mean, there's part of me that is actually like legitimately loving them and wanting to solve their problem. But there's, there's this unnamed emotional motivation that's like, I want them to be okay because them not being okay is making me not okay. And so I want to minimize it. And so it's a very sophisticated in, in some ways method, although actually it's not that sophisticated because my kids can see right through it. They can't quite 
exactly name all of it, but they recognize something about consultant dad is not right. They don't like consultant dad because, and I think the reason is because they realize at some either named or unnamed level, they recognize that consultant dad is trying to minimize their problem and it's not giving them space to feel what they're feeling. Well, and consultant dad is trying to make the anxiety go away. That's right. Exactly. first naming it, honoring it, putting it in. And I love that self-awareness is so beautiful because, you know, we all see it. We all do it. We see it in our spouses, right? When you just jump in, you know, (laughs) to save the day. So you talk about it as consultant dad. And then what is it that you kind of move toward? Yeah, I call him, I call this other self to use your uh, IFS (laughs) sort of paradigm that we have multiple selves that we can call on, right? If there's consultant dad, there's also grieving dad. Uh, And grieving dad isn't jumping in to solve the problem. Grieving dad sounds something like this. Honey, that sounds really hard. I'm so sorry you're feeling that. And that's totally understandable. And that sounds really different than let's solve this problem. Like you need to do this. You know, have you thought about this? It's just a different voice. And I'm learning to lean more into and give more space and voice to grieving that. And what I find is my my kids who are now, you know, 22 and, and 19, that's really the more appropriate dad for them at this age. I mean, right, there's an there's a time when consultant dad is helpful for, you know, when kids need problems to be solved. And but at this age as adults uh or near adults, they want somebody who is willing to grieve with them. And it, it's something that parents can give their kids in ways that no one else can. Because what I and I've discovered discovering this right now with my own kid is that because so many of their peers are also anxious that there's not a lot of capacity among their peers to actually grieve with each other, to actually hold each Because they're all overwhelmed themselves with their own anxiety, that peer teens have a hard time actually making room for each other's anxieties because they're feeling so over capacity themselves. And so one of the great gifts I think parents can offer their kids is not to be the problem solver, although there's moments and times when that can be appropriate, but to be the one who is grieving with your kid and making room for it and ultimately deeply accepting their kids, right? Because that the parental acceptance of your child, even as they are anxious, is something that I think any anxious person, but especially anxious teens, are deeply craving. Am I okay? Even as in my current feelings, am I okay? Am I still loved? Am I still accepted? Do I still belong? And that's the voice that the parents can give that no therapist, no doctor, no pill can deliver. It is that deep, fundamental, unconditional acceptance. And that's why it's so important for anxious parents to do their own work of accepting their own anxious selves. This is why I want them to read the book and do the work for their own anxiety, because it's almost impossible to accept a quality in someone else that you have not accepted in yourself. If you are rejecting, ashamed about, trying to make go away your own internal anxiety, you will not be able to accept, make space, receive the anxiety in your child. So it's both an opportunity and a means and a necessary means of responding to your child. That your child's anxiety is an opportunity for you to grow in self-acceptance of your own anxiety. And then that self-acceptance will flow back to give back to your child what your child most needs from you. It's so good. It's so right. And, you know, as you were talking and you were 
talking about holding, you know, that non-anxious presence, that safety. I got a picture in my mind. That's what God does for us, right? God doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, all right, here's the problem. We're going to say, Jesus says, I am with you. I am with you in it. It's the presence that we create. And there's so few pockets of that for our kids. There was a moment I loved, Curtis, where you you had that moment with yourself. And it was just so beautiful where you kind of found yourself. And it reminded me, you found yourself kind of being present with your anxiety from a different place inside. It reminded me of what now one calls the inner voice of love. And it was just a moment, I think it was while you're in the therapy office. In therapy, Is that yes. Right? It was in the middle of therapy experience. And my therapist was asked, my form of anxiety disorder is rumination, right? The turning over of a thought or a scenario over and over in your mind, all in a desperate attempt to find something that will make the anxiety go away. So that's my anxiety disorder of of my move at trying to, to make anxiety go away. And so I think I was talking to my therapist about that, and she asked me this question, which was so puzzling to me at the time. She said, well, is there a different move you can make and I thought she meant, is there a different mental move? And I was like, I'm trapped. I can't. You know. And she's like, no, no, I'm talking about a different physical move, a different bodily move, which was just a question I'd never thought of before. And so I started to try to just tune in to what my body craved and what my body wanted and needed in that moment. And I discovered a move. And I, I talk about this in the move. And it turns out to be just a very basic reaching across my, my body and giving my shoulder, it's usually my right hand to my left shoulder, a very gentle pat. And then as I was just gently patting myself, I heard myself say out loud, you know, it's all right, kiddo. It's all right. And which was just, I was like, where is that? Nobody has ever called me kiddo before. My my parents didn't call me that. No one calls me that. I was like, where's that coming from? And I realized, oh, that's that's the voice of what I needed to hear as an eight-year-old when I was, you know, (laughs) scared and as a latchkey kid alone in the house. And I felt like I was receiving that from Jesus because that voice was somebody who knew me deeply, who was with me even all the days of my life, including when I was eight years old, and knew from a place of acceptance and empathy, having experienced anxiety, knew exactly what I needed to hear and feel at that point. And that's the beauty of of taking our anxiety and experiencing our anxiety with Jesus. We experience it with the one who knows us, the one who created us, the one who himself suffered anxiety. I find that so comforting and reassuring to know that Jesus himself, in the, uh, the incarnate one, the truly human one, suffered anxiety. And so he does not look down with a wagging finger, with a shaming reproach, with some command for us to just get our act together when we're anxious. He knows. He's been there. He shares it. And so the voice we hear from Jesus in our anxiety, if it is truly the genuine voice of Jesus, will be the voice of empathy and acceptance. I love that. Everybody is unique, so shouldn't our healthcare be too? Whenever I visited a traditional medicine doctor, I feel rushed. I don't really feel like the care is personalized to me. I have a couple of things that I am working through that don't really fit into any easy category. And so many of the people I know are dealing with a similar situation where it'd be so nice to have somebody digging into your healthcare in a personalized way. That's why I am so excited to introduce you to today's sponsor, Wild Health. 
Wild Health was founded by two emergency room physicians, and it takes a proactive and preventative approach to healthcare. It's called precision medicine. They use your genetics, biometrics, and lifestyle data to help you determine what your unique body needs as far as nutrition, exercise, sleep, supplements, so you can function at your best now and in the long run. Whether you have a specific health goal or you just want to optimize your health and prevent disease, Wild Health tailors a care plan with lifestyle-first interventions rather than pills and prescriptions to, in the simplest sense, help you live longer. To help you implement your individualized care plan, Wild Health pairs each person with a care team consisting of a board-certified precision medicine physician and accredited health coach who you can message anytime through their convenient app. And the results speak for themselves. Wild Health patients have seen a whopping 69% reduction in inflammation, 47% improvement of diabetic markers, and 58% reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, among many other incredible outcomes. Wild Health is fully virtual via telemedicine and available everywhere in the U.S. Man, one of the things I figured out when I wasn't feeling well is that I was really low in iron. Nobody had tested me for that. And here I am taking all of these supplements, but I'm not taking the one supplement I actually needed. And that's where this kind of precision medicine can really help you pinpoint the exact thing you need instead of just doing a guessing game of what you think you need to have more energy, to feel less tired, whatever it is that your goals are. Wild Health is generously extending the Best of You listeners 20% off the cost of membership with code BEST OF YOU. Head over to wildhealth.com slash best of you and use code best of you at checkout. Make this commitment to yourself and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash best of you. I am so happy to have discovered Sunday's Food for Dogs. It's nutritious, affordable, air-dried dog food that contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and zero synthetic nutrients. Sunday's was co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing veterinarian, and besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids and disease-fighting antioxidants for your beloved pets. Dog lovers report noticeable health improvements in their pups, including softer fur, fresher breath, better poops, and more energy. My dogs love Sundays. I have two. One in particular is a picky eater. Normal dog food just doesn't work for her, but they love Sundays, and we feel so good about feeding them the best quality food. We want them in our family for a long time to come, and Sundays is giving them our very best Unlike other fresh dog food, Sundays is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf-stable, which means it's easy for you to feed your pup top-quality food. Every order ships right to your door, so you'll never worry about running out of dog food again. And best of all, it costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters most, sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your pup. We worked out a special deal for our dog-loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash bestofyou or use code bestofyou at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash bestofyou. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. You see the fruit of that, your own work to embrace and accept and and the the opportunity that anxiety has given you to grow in the receiving of that love you see the fruit of that in your ability to hold that then for your daughters 
Yeah, you hold it for others, hold it for your 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 loved ones, hold it for yourself. It's not like I'm not I never experience anxiety anymore, but I hold it very differently. And when you develop these various practices that I talk about in the book, what I call holding practices that are different than the avoidance habits, bad habits we get into, when we can actually hold our anxiety, I can say with uh, with my own experience and an experience passed by research, when you can actually hold anxiety, it doesn't make anxiety go away, but it brings it down to such lower levels because we're not on a hamster wheel trying to get away from anxiety. We're just going through it and we're just just enduring it, just experiencing it, just suffering it. And it becomes big to medium or medium to too little when that happens. Exactly. And brings you closer to the people that you love in that regard. Curtis, it is such a beautiful book. I'm going to be sending it to lots of folks I know. (laughs) Oh, thank you. It's just a really profound, you know, everything I do, I'm trying to integrate faith with psychology. And that's what this book is doing. It's the best of what secular therapy and all these strategies have to offer combined with this really robust Christian theology, biblical theology. Tell folks how they can find you, how they can get a hold of the book. Well, so you can get a hold of the book at any, your typical Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever you get your book. So it's called The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. So please order, please review, and then also encourage folks to listen into our conversations around a lot of topics, but anxiety is a big theme that we weave through our discussion on our podcast called The Good Faith. Good Faith Podcast, again, available on any Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or every streaming device. And uh, we really believe that anxiety is one of the unexplored sort of factors in a lot of our cultural, social, even political struggles we have as Christians. And I'm trying to actually show how anxiety and our potentially misshapen responses to anxiety are kind of responsible for how messed up we can get in in all these other aspects of our lives. So Good Faith Podcast, please check that out and, and the Anxiety Opportunity as a book. Well, thank you for just taking your story with anxiety. You also talk about that. We we didn't get into this, but the other moment in the book where I teared up was where you talked about the idol. And and then when you you finally released all that fear around that particular idol of work to God, how ironically you began to have a lot of fruitfulness. And a lot of it was in this area of taking this pain of anxiety and transforming it into these beautiful resources for others. Yeah. I found in, when I talk to people, they all end up having their own examples of that story of where when they do finally walk through their anxiety, how God opens up amazing opportunities for them to love, care, serve others in the world. And um, that's the anxiety opportunity. So thank you for giving me a chance to share that with your listeners. And listeners, by the way, tune into Good Faith because we're going to have a great guest coming up. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to have to tune in every week to find out when when this great guest comes. But that's Allison. She's going to be coming on <laughs> the Good Faith. And I can't wait to have this conversation because Allison, you and I have some really fun conversations to have about the self and what is the true self. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Tell us, as I ask all my guests, Curtis, what is bringing out the best of you right now? So just most recently, I've been discovering music. And this sounds really, I I feel kind of funny saying this, but I'm not a music listener. But I finally said, you know, I, I really should be listening more to engage a part of myself that I think is undernourished. It's the non rational more emotional side of myself, the poet, the part that's poetry, not 
nonfiction, right? And I realized, oh, that's what music is. Music is is speaking to the heart, to the, speaking to the emotions. It activates that part. So my daughters finally showed me how to get on Spotify and how to actually open up like a whole range of music. And I'm going to put a shout out. The music of Andrew Peterson is bringing me great joy. So Andrew Peterson is a Christian uh, musician based in Nashville. He's written, released two albums called The Resurrection Letters, Volume 1 and Volume 2. I highly recommend that because as you know, as we've talked about, resurrection is such, for me, interwoven to the Christian response to anxiety. And to have this musical exploration of the Christian promise of resurrection has been so soul-filling for me. So that's that's been the thing that's been bringing well, me joy. I love so, that. I'm going to yeah. go... Uh, Go check that out. I love that. I love your call to rethink and reimagine how we're talking about resurrection, that it is not this. I just want to put a plug in. If you just read those two chapters, I want to say it is not this sort of, we're just going to sit around in the sky and sing boring songs. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. what hope is there in that? Yeah. What? How is that a response to anxiety? Right, <laughs> so, yeah, that just yeah. makes you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, thank you again, Curtis. Uh, check out The Anxiety Opportunity check out the Good Faith podcast. And uh, we're just so grateful for you. Allison, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Best of You. It would mean so much if you take a moment to subscribe. You can go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the plus or follow button. That will ensure you don't miss an episode and it helps get the word out to others. While you're there, I'd love it if you leave your five-star review. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.